Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you today. I'm glad you're here as we continue this journey in everything, everywhere, all at once, the study of the Holy Trinity and the gift that God offers to us through that powerful opportunity. Hey, just another quick reference to the media uh, that you just saw. You know, we are online every week and have lots of streaming that we do across uh, uh, lots of platforms. Uh, One of the things we discovered in late 2020, uh, sort of, you know, the end of COVID or near the end of COVID was um, there was a community in Ethiopia where we had built water wells some eight years ago that was watching us online. And they only knew of us because of your generosity in providing clean, fresh drinking water to their communities uh, there in Tigray, uh, Ethiopia. And so they saw this strange name called Treach, right? And it's strange enough to pronounce in English, much less some other language. And they discovered they wanted to know a little bit more about us, so they started to watch us online. What a powerful gift your generosity offered, not only life, literally, in clean, fresh drinking water in some of those communities, but spiritual life in Christ to help them find and discover a growing relationship with Jesus. Thanks for making that real. That's a gift, and I'm grateful to be a part of it, just like I know you are as well. So as I reflected on the Trinity and kind of the ways I understood it, I reflected on my own life and the sort of roles and relationship I have lived into uh, over the last many decades, just like you have in your own lives. I'm sure like you, the first couple of decades, you think of yourself as a student, right? You know, golly, I go to school, and I don't think of myself in any other way. And then when I got married at the age of 24, I realized, golly, that's a whole other role. I, I, got, I got obligations and responsibilities now. I don't know what to do with all that, right? But I'm still the same guy, but I'm now married, and I'm called a husband. And then I became a pastor, and golly, that brought a whole other set of circumstances and understandings of who I was and what my role was and how I lived out my life. And it's been my great joy over these last many decades to get to know thousands of folks and uh, grow in relationship with Jesus. Then we had kids, and I was called dad. Man, that brought a whole other understanding of responsibility, right? And at the same time, hope and joy and possibilities with our kids. And then seven years ago, I became a grandpa for the first time. He calls me Papa. You better call me that too every once in a while, right? Papa. That was the first word he ever learned. Did I tell you that? First word he ever learned was Papa. And ever since, I've been elated, right? And so, in all of those circumstances, I realize that I have different roles to play and different responsibilities to to live into, and all at the same time, different forms of hope, too. And yet, I'm just one person, just like you. You've got other roles and other relationships, but you're just one person, and that's a beautiful analogy. It doesn't fulfill it completely, but that's a beautiful analogy of the Trinity, right? that God is three in one, and that God helps represent God's self in very clear ways. You remember last week, we we showed the graphic that I asked them to put up here just for a minute. God in the center, right? God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. But the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. But there is one God right in the middle. And a part of the beauty of this analogy is that we follow this God who is by nature relational, right? That's what we spent time on last week as we talked about the first person of the Trinity, that God, by God's very nature, is relational. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this week, I want to move from the first person of the Trinity, God, the Creator, God the uh, Lover, God who uh, is all things to all people, right, to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus kind of the whole reason we're here, right? Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, makes God tangible, 
makes God real and helps us to better understand this relationship with God. That's the beauty of this everything, everywhere, all at once, is it helps us to realize that we really can have a relationship with God and to discover the powerful gift that Jesus as Redeemer, that Jesus as the beloved child of God, that Jesus as the one who offers us God with us in a very tangible way, we get to celebrate that gift. So today, as we look at Jesus, I want us to identify the Nicene Creed. Remember, you, you just said the Apostles' Creed. We do that every week here, and that helps establish the Trinity. Well, the Nicene Creed is the granddaddy of all the creeds. And the Nicene Creed was well established at the Council of Nicaea. We talked about this last week. And today, I just want you to quote for me the portion of the Nicene Creed that talks about Jesus. Because, man, when we're done, by the way, I let the 930 out early because they, they got it, okay? So... If you get it, you can go home early, okay? So the Trinity, yeah, Carl, come on. The Nicene Creed, the portion that speaks of Jesus, will you, the, the words are on the screen, will you unite with me together as we claim this portion of the Creed? We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. By golly, you got it. Let's go. Oh, no. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating when you hear this Nicene Creed, at least I make the assumption you hear some of the things I do, it's much more elaborate than the Apostles' Creed, right? It has much more meat on the bones, if you will, about who Jesus is and the purpose for His coming, right? And then it has some language, some of which you might use regularly, some of which you might not. We don't say begotten a whole lot. I don't know if you do. I know in our family we do not say begotten a whole lot. We don't talk about eternally begotten either. But those are all phrases that describe the wonderful concept of who Jesus is and what Jesus helps us to better understand about God. Well, the, the creed says a bunch. We're going to spend a lot of time on that this morning. But at the basic core level, a part of what the creed identifies is that Jesus is both human and divine. That's a part of the gift that the creed offers us is that Jesus is both human and divine. He's human because he, is, he was born, he walked, he lived a life, he taught, he healed. Uh, even extra biblical sources identify that there was this man named Jesus who walked the face of the earth. Different people understand him differently outside the Christian faith, but even the Jewish religion and the Muslim faith identifies that Jesus is real that he walked the face of the earth. In fact, they would identify Jesus as a prophet. 
who spoke great words of wisdom and spoke God's truth into the world. So, by golly, that's a pretty cool deal when even other faith traditions acknowledge your Savior, right? They acknowledge Him by name. They acknowledge that He's real. They acknowledge that He walked the face of this earth. Jesus was human, but at the same time, He was God. Not 50-50, not half and half, but 100% human and 100% divine. And the creed helps us identify that and recognize that he has this amazing combination of both. And it's his humanity that helps us know we can experience God's love even when we are frail and mortal and weak. And it is his divinity, his divine-like nature that helps us to better know that, man, he can connect us with God because he is God. And he can help us better understand the very nature of God because he is God. And what a powerful gift that is, right? A part of this great mystery of the faith is that he is both human fully, divine fully, and that helps us to better know the image and the will of God. So let's talk about some of the other languages. So there are two texts in the New Testament that identify Jesus as a part of the Trinity without using that language and without sort of defining it. One is in the Gospel of John that places Jesus with God at the beginning of creation in John chapter 1. And then the other is a, a portion of a letter that Paul writes to the church at Colossae where Paul elaborates uh, elegantly on this stuff. And in fact, you may notice when I read from this passage from uh, Colossians that the creed borrows some of that language. Listen, as Paul teaches the Christians at Colossae what it means for Jesus to be in the image of God, beginning in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a wonderful image that is of who Jesus is and how Jesus is a part of the Holy Trinity that claims for us some real truths about how we can better understand Jesus and, and God, right? So the first thing that Paul begins to write to the church at Colossae is a simple concept, probably the, the best known, if you will, of, of these concepts, and that is this, that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Right? We can't really see God. We, we know God is spirit, and therefore we want to have a relationship with God, but sometimes we struggle. Jesus becomes the visible image of the invisible God. It is why Jesus would be called Emmanuel, God with us, because he helps make us understand and see, if you will, this God that we claim faith in, this God who helps us better understand our own identity, right? A visible sign of an invisible God. 
John, in his gospel, would identify this. Again, in John chapter 1, you may recall in, in that chapter, there's a great description of Jesus on several different levels. But in verse 14, John tells us this, that, and the Word became flesh. The Word is this uh, logos that is Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us or lived with us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Father's Son, full of grace and truth. And the powerful gift here is that that helps us to see the invisible God. Therefore, Jesus becomes like our friend. He becomes like a relatable person. He becomes somebody that we can talk to and better get to know and understand. That's why when we pray, we will often say and speak to Jesus just as often as we speak to God, right? Because we want and need this friend. And Jesus helps reveal God to us in this tangible human form, but he also helps us to sort of see God uh, spiritually. In other words, connect to God and to better realize God's presence in our lives. This is what the writer of Hebrews meant when in the first chapter of Hebrews in the third verse he says this, the Son reflects the glory of God and shows exactly what God is like. That's a beautiful understanding, right? That the more I know Jesus, the more I talk to him, the more I pray to him, the more I connect with him, the more I try to emulate his teachings, the more I see the glory of God and the more I understand God's will for my life. Jesus is a visible image of an invisible God, and we need that desperately. The other thing that uh, Colossians tells us that Paul wants to reveal to us, and this is fascinating, absolutely everything got started through Jesus. I, I want you to pause and chew on that just for a minute. Absolutely everything got started through Jesus. Well, how can that be? He was born 2,000 years ago to a woman in a little bitty town called Bethlehem, right? How does that work? Because he's a part of the Trinity, because he's been with God since the very beginning. And Paul has said that. You just recited that in the creed. This is where that highfalutin language, that he is eternally begotten of the Father. He's been with God since the beginning. He was begotten, not made. In other words, God brought him with God to do what God does in the world. John's gospel says this the best. You've heard this, but I'll read it again. John 1, the first three verses. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Listen, all things were made by Him, and nothing was made without Him. Wow. All things were made through Him, and nothing was made but through Him. This is the glory that Jesus has been a part of all of the creation of the animals, all of the creation of the birds, all of the creation of the oceans, of the light and the dark and the day and the night and the stars and the sun and the moon. Jesus was a part of all of that. And he was a part of your creation. And he was a part of all of the natural creation. And a part of what we have to recognize if we believe that that's true as the Trinity indicates is that we need to see in all of creation the image of God. Because not only was God in that image in your making, but so was Jesus. 
And so every time you think about how Jesus can be a part of that, you've got to recognize that Jesus, as the gospel writer of Matthew indicates, is in others. When you feed and clothe and give drink to the thirsty, you have done it to Jesus, Matthew 25 says. So part of what we need to recognize is that Jesus helped make all of that possible. Absolutely everything came into being through his being as well. Now, the other thing that we learn from Colossians, and I find this fascinating. Uh, have you ever read the message translation of Scripture, uh, Eugene Peterson? I absolutely love it. It's amazing for devotion time and, and uh, helping to see in a different light, right? Eugene Peterson is a modern uh, David, if you will, in that he was literally a man after God's own heart. He wrote, was a pastor, uh, translated the Scriptures, wrote, golly, scores of books, all about relationship with Jesus. And when Eugene Peterson renders Colossians 1, one of the phrases he uses is powerful. It's verses 17 and 18 from which we just read. And he describes it this way, I love it, that Jesus leads the resurrection parade. Jesus leads the resurrection parade. In part, what he means is Jesus is the head of the church. He leads us. We are a part of the resurrection parade. That's what the body of Christ is. He's also the firstborn from the dead. What that means is he's the first to be raised, the first to be resurrected, right? And it also acknowledges in chapter, uh, verses 17 and 18 that he is the one uh, true leader, right? The one Lord, and so I love this image of the resurrection parade, right? Because everybody loves a parade. I, I, I don't know anybody who doesn't love a parade. Now, you may not always like to go to a parade, but you like to watch a parade, right? I mean, it's just fun, and there's great elation, and there's excitement, and there's joy, and we get to celebrate. And Jesus is leading that parade as the one who is the head of the church, the body of Christ. That's what Paul means, likewise, when he writes to the church at Ephesus. In the very first chapter, he identifies Jesus as the head. He says, God put everything under Christ's feet and made him the head of everything in the church. That means he's Lord. He's our boss. We place full trust and faith in him. It's why Peter, when Peter would get up after the powerful Pentecost experience that Acts chapter 2 renders for us, Peter gives up and, you know, Peter who has hoof and mouth disease, right, always denied Jesus and ran from Jesus and all that kind of, but in Acts chapter 2, man, when the Holy Spirit shows up, Peter's full of the Holy Spirit and he gets up and gives this magnificent sermon. In part, what he says is, therefore, let the entire house of Israel know that certainty that God has made him, meaning Jesus, both Lord and Messiah. Lord, because he's our boss. Lord, because everything we do and say needs to come from him. Lord, because everything we are is in him. And Messiah, Christ, Savior, because he paid the ultimate price. And a part of what he's doing as he leads the resurrection parade is he's leading us on a pathway for life for eternal life, for everlasting life, for abundant life, for the glorious gift that he offers that no one else can compare to. Did you know that you were a part of the resurrection parade? That you get to join in the frivolity, that you get to join in the great elation, that you get to be a part of the life that really is life? I love that image. And it needs to claim our hearts and our heads 
in terms of what we say and what we do and how we interface with other people. Because if Jesus is Lord, He's Lord of everything. He's not just Lord of what I want to do on Sundays or what I want to do when I'm in my small group, right? He's Lord of my life at work, and He's Lord of my life in my home, and He's Lord of my life in the community, and He's Lord of my life in all the things that I do. It's one of the things that we stray from the parade on every once in a while, isn't it? We got distracted by this or that. We, we feel as though we've got to get in this car and go that direction, or we need to be in this vehicle and who takes us that way. It's perfectly normal to have personal opinions. It's perfectly normal to, to sort of side with this politician or that politician. It's perfectly normal to have opinions about things. There's nothing wrong with that. But every once in a while, those become distractions that we place above Jesus. And it's never helpful. It always gets in the way. And we have to be cautious because sometimes our news sources generate that in us. Sometimes those news sources cause us to think this is true or this is real or this is what's going on, when in fact what we need to check ourselves on is what does Jesus say? What is it Jesus is calling us to? Because here's our reality. Distractions separate us, but Jesus centers us. He centers us on what is real and right. He centers us on what makes us whole and full. He centers us when everything else can splinter us. One of the beautiful things I love about this congregation is we got all kinds of opinions. We got all kinds of political affiliations. We got all kinds of understandings. But we know this one thing. We are about Jesus Christ and growing in a relationship with him and holding him prime among all. You're a part of the resurrection parade, and you're helping the Trinity become real and relational. What a gift that can be. You know, Mary and Martha, sisters, you remember Jesus came to visit because um, they wanted to see him. And you may recall Martha got all ready and prepared, and Mary kind of hung out for a while. And Martha was upset with Mary. Luke chapter 10 tells us the story. And then she kind of starts complaining to Jesus, right? Would you set her straight, Jesus? Mary's not helping me at all. And Jesus said to Martha in verses 40 and 41, Martha, Martha, you are so worried and distracted by so many things. There really is need of only one. And Mary has got that figured out. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus. We need to understand his heart and his mind so that we can indeed know God's will and God's ways for our lives. This is the gift that he offers, and it's a way for us to grab hold of who Jesus is. The thing that I cherish as well about Jesus is, and this is a little hard to see, but I love this component. As we read Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20, we see that everything finds its proper place in him everything, all of creation, all of our hearts. It said there in verse 19 that in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And a part of what we mean when we say that everything finds its proper place in Jesus is he's the one who sets things right. He's the one who claims our hearts. 
He's the one who gives us a real sense of what God wants for our lives and for all of creation. John, he has a great way of putting it. You go back to John chapter 1, and in verse 18, at the very end of what's known as the prologue to John's gospel, it says this, no one has ever seen God. God, the only Son, who is off the Father's side, has made God known. And by making God known to us, Jesus has put us in our proper place, God in God's proper place, and salvation in its proper place. And a part of what he does is he makes, he makes brokenness whole. He, he makes loneliness a companion for all. And he helps us when we're isolated to know that we are loved, putting us in our place with God. That's the gift that he offers. So in the midst of our brokenness and our loneliness and in our isolations and in our humanity, Jesus can help bring fullness of joy and an opportunity for hope that is beyond all hope. It's why God wanted everybody to experience this, right? It's why God wanted the world to know that they are loved. That's what John 3.16 means, right? For God so loved the world that those who uh, uh, believe in his son might not perish but have everlasting life. That's all God's looking for is to offer life and hope, and that's what Jesus gives. But he reconciles us to God because we've, we've screwed up, right? We, we, make, uh, we do wrong things. We sin. We create turmoil and chaos sometimes, and what God wants is to reconcile that, right, to bring things new and right. Paul describes this well uh, when he writes to the church at Rome in the fifth chapter when he says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Even when we were enemies of God, before we claimed faith, before we lived for Christ, before we understood this love, God still wanted that relationship. That's why Jesus came. That's why I love the man, the person, but I also love that Jesus is God, and Jesus helps us when we need a second chance. He loves us when we've messed up. He embraces us when we need a loving embrace, and he helps us to know that God's love is available to all. It's why I love the mission of this church, leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything we do is about that. Everything we purvey is about that. And our goal is to try to help you in that relationship. And so if you don't know Jesus, I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. If you know Jesus and you'd like to know more or you want to grow more, I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. I know all of the clergy would and I know any of the staff would. The desire of our heart is that you might know him and that by knowing him, you might know and understand God and you might discover the great joy of growing in a relationship with him in your heart and in your lives. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Let's join that resurrection parade and let's tell a story that others need to know because of the way we live and breathe and have our being. Jesus is Lord, head of all the church, 
helping guide us every step of the way. May it be so for you and for those whom you know and love. Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the powerful ways that he makes you known and visible in the world, for the ways in which he helps reconcile us toward right relationship with you. And by golly, God, the way in which he helps us join a parade of life that is abundant. Help us, Lord, to make him Lord of our lives, that we may truly be a part of that parade and welcome others to join. God, this is our prayer, and we lift it in the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.